Leading a school district is a unique responsibility, and it's clearly not getting any easier. People rely on you for answers to complicated problems, which feels isolating and sometimes unrealistic. Conferences or webinars, even good ones, don't solve problems when you need it. And sitting and staring at slides with someone talking at you doesn't help either. What if there was a better way? What if you belonged to a national, hand-picked community of Java-alike school leaders who could circle up to strategize and solve your most challenging problems when you need it? What if you had access to ongoing content that helped you solve problems and lead every day? There is a better way. When you join Leading Ed Solutions, you'll join a carefully selected, highly committed group of Java-like peers from across the country, a support system beyond your backyard, school leaders helping other school leaders. Real people tracking real issues in real time. Simply submit your challenge. We'll circle you up with your peers to provide solutions. Our content works because it's accessible, practical, and created by proven leaders just like you. You don't have to lead alone. Apply to Leading Ed today and discover why circles are better than rows. Eric Lent is the Chief Marketing Officer at World 50. So, now he may not be an educator in the traditional sense. He's a really good friend of mine, but we actually believe it's important to learn and be influenced by others in other fields. Eric Lent is the Chief Marketing Officer at World 50. Prior to World 50, he was the Senior Vice President, Upscale Brands and Intercontinental Hotel Groups, IHG, where he was responsible for driving demand, achieving global growth objectives for a over $5 billion business unit. Outside of work, Eric is an advisor to 48 in 48, an, organizational, an organization dedicated to building websites for nonprofits. Previously, he served as the board chairman for the Townsend University College of Business and Economics, where he received the Dean's Recognition Award for his lifetime of career success. Eric. Jeff. It's awesome seeing you. <laughs> Great it to be with awesome. you. It is awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And so I miss stuff in your bio. So let's just talk a little bit. What nuance did I miss? Maybe talk to us about your transition to World 50, what that's been like. Kind of catch us up. Sure. Um, so long career. I've been at this for almost 30 years now. And I'm actually going to start with a story that goes all the way back to high school because it set the trajectory for my career. So when I, was, when I was a junior in high school, I, uh, I cut school for the day, and all the superintendents are cringing right now, but I cut school. Oh, I, I never did that. And yeah. um, I went to New York City. I was living on Long Island. I went to New York City, and I visited my cousin, who was an account supervisor at an advertising agency. And he set up a day of informational interviews. So I met the strategy team, the creative team, the media planning and buying team. And at the end of the day, he shared with me how his job as an account manager was to serve as the hub of the wheel to serve as the interface between the client and the agency to get great advertising done. Young kid, stars in my eyes. I said, this is what I want to do. And he said, okay, if that's what you want to do, don't major in advertising. Don't major in communications. You want to major in business because the way you're going to be success successful is if you strive to understand your client's business better than your client. That's how you add value. Every job I've had, every transition I've made, every team that I've been on, that mentality of trying to strive to understand better 
has helped me be successful. So I went through undergrad, I started in advertising, I, I, I did the work, and over a period of a couple of years, I got promoted onto a, a business, Procter & Gamble, one of the biggest consumer product goods manufacturers I've heard in the of world. That. Yeah. Worked on Tide, Ivory, you know, a bunch of different brands. And I realized I was a frustrated marketer working in advertising, right? Because advertising is one small part of the bigger discipline of marketing. And so I made the decision to go join a consumer packaged goods company. I got hired by SC Johnson and uh, became a brand manager. And when you become a brand manager, you're given a P&L, right? And so all of a sudden, I was responsible for the entirety of, of a business unit. The, the, the revenue, the profits, the sales incentives, the new product innovation, and really started building my, my business acumen. And over a period of a couple of decades, I went to a number of different packaged goods companies and had the fortune to work, uh, you know, brands like Kodak back when film was a thing. That's how long I've been doing this. Uh, Hershey Chocolate Company. And then when I was at Hershey, the chief operating officer asked me to take on a very expansive role, and I stepped outside of marketing and became the, the general manager of the largest subsidiary in the company, which was the Canadian business unit, Hershey Canada. So I moved up to Canada, ran that business unit, was about a half a billion dollar business unit, and I had responsibility for the factories, the sales teams, et cetera. After that, I ran emerging markets. So Brazil, Russia, India, China, Southeast Asia, Mexico, and my job was to build a new distribution model to help the company scale into the interior of those economies, which for a chocolate company is, is reliant on conditioned distribution, refrigerators. And when you get to those parts of the world, that doesn't exist. So it was a very um, mind-opening and eye-opening experience for me. Okay. Uh, then made the transition from consumer packaged goods into travel, leisure, and entertainment. I joined a company here in Atlanta called Hershen Family Entertainment. Uh, it's a company that owns theme parks, attractions, resorts, and I helped them realize that those very skills they had to create location-based entertainment at theme parks could be used in other entertainment adjacencies. And our first step outside the box was the acquisition of the Harlem Globetrotters, which is one of the coolest acquisitions I've had the chance to work on. Uh, left Hirschend and joined IHG, Intercontinental Hotels Group, and had the, had the opportunity to work on brands like Holiday Inn, uh, big turnaround on Crown Plaza. I ran restaurants and bars for all of North America, about 2,600 uh, restaurants and bars. And then last March, I made the transition to World 50. Now, I had been a member of World 50 for 12 years prior. And so when I started looking at other opportunities and I met with the CEO, and he invited me to join the company. Morgan Stanley had just acquired us, and he was asking me to help them double the growth of the company. And I gotta tell you, being a member of World 50 for over a decade was one of the most, is one of the most valuable experiences I've had in my career. It helped me be successful. That opportunity, parlaying that into being within the company, has been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done, because now I have the chance to work with the best leaders in the world, literally, day in and day out, helping them be successful, be either driving their organizations, working with their boards, in their communities, and even in their homes. So, World 50, now that you work with these incredible leaders, right, and in fact, you used to be one, which is probably, you know, pretty neat, yeah. right? And um, with that, you know, leading ed, we want to be innovative, as I was describing in my intro, Maybe you could talk to us about what are some of the tenets that you've learned are needed to be able to truly support leaders? Well, look, the reality of leadership 
and, and this reality gets even more pervasive as you become more senior, it is lonely at the top. Yes. And it is critical as a leader that you have the opportunity to have your decisions vetted, that you get an external perspective that allows you to not think about what's happening tomorrow, not think about what's happening next week, but allows you to think about what's going to happen next year and five years from now. Because as leaders, you need to be orienting your organizations towards successful outcomes by taking into account all those other issues that you might be considering. And there's nothing better than having a community of peers to give you that perspective. So this community of peers, right? So tell, me, tell us about how, how you work with uh, leaders to ensure they're using one another. And you know, we say tap in this collective wisdom because they're busy people, yeah. right? So what are some of your strategies to truly get them collaborating? Because leaders are often, in my opinion, sometimes conditioned to not collaborate. So what are some of your strategies to help them understand there's huge benefits in the time and effort to collaborate? Well, the first thing I'll say is when, when, a, when a potential member that we interview comes to us and says, I really don't know if I have the time, I say back to them, we say back to them, if you have the time, you're probably not right for us. Because there is not a leader in the world today that will tell you that time is their most valuable commodity. And the reality is that by leveraging a community of peers, you make better use of your time because your decisions are more efficient, your radar is on, and you get the ability then to peek around corners and develop a larger enterprise mindset. And I can't tell you how critical that is. When you get this external perspective of a community of peers, you begin to understand what's happening economically, socially, culturally, technologically, politically, and you have conversations about what that means for yourself as a leader, whether you're working in the public sector or in the private sector, the force factors are the same. And being able to contend with them and consider them is absolutely critical. So we, we, tell, our, we tell our leaders, there's the, it's community first, right? You, if, you, if you're being invited into this, you have to. You have to make the time. And if you make the time, you will find it is incredibly invaluable. And we have you know, C-suit executives from Airbnb, from Amazon, from you know, all the big companies that will be happy to go on video and tell their peers how important it is to make that investment. The other part that I often say is, it's, and you, you, you're doing this, which is you know, circles <laughs> are critical, and be able to go from the large group to the small cohort to build trust and have those more intimate conversations is what leads to, and I call it brand affinity, but more loyalty and a higher dependency on each other to help each other be successful. And, that, you know, and the reality is, when you, we find that our members don't talk about us as World 50. They talk about it as us and our company and what we do because they feel a part of it. You know, one thing I've noticed, when we, when we circle our members up, there seems to be this inherent value of connecting leaders who can relate to one another, right? They have some of the same pressures, et cetera. But when they're connected with people that they may not see every day, it almost frees them up to be open and honest because they maybe don't have to worry about some of the political ramifications of being open and honest with your next door neighbor. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Or do you notice any of those same themes? We, we absolutely notice those things. You know, I, I spend a lot of time working with our chief HR officer group. Okay. So you know, the people responsible for talent management, workforce strategy, for the world's, literally the world's largest companies. 
and they don't all have it. They don't have it all figured out, right? And they can't. They can't say that to the board. They can't say that to their boss, the CEO, right? But they can say it to each other. I literally had a woman call me this morning and say, "Hey, Eric, I need help figuring out ways to measure employee productivity because everything I'm trying is not working." And we went into our database and we found five people that will have a conversation with her. We always talk about when you come in to, an, to our organization, we interview you and say, what are those areas where you need help and where can you help? And we then connect people with each other that allows them to, to, be, to give a gift of insight and also to get the gift of feedback. It's amazing. Now, our world has clearly changed over the last year, right? And so, and we're looking into the kind of this new future. And it would be silly of us as superintendents as well as our executive team members to think that's just a school district thing. Right? Clearly it's not. So what are you noticing right now in terms of some of the really important qualities that, um, that leaders are having to value? And then potentially what do you envision in the future is going to be needed for the leader of tomorrow as opposed to, say, just a year ago? Jeff, that's a, that's a, that might be the most critical leadership question right now because those qualities that made you successful as a leader March 2020 are not the qualities that will make you successful March 2021 going forward. The, the workforce has dramatically changed. Consumer behavior has changed. Education has evolved out of necessity. And what we're seeing is because, because of this Zoom culture that's been created around the world, there is a new expectation of leadership, an expectation of authenticity, of transparency, and commitment. And, what, and what, what I, part of this is driven by the Zoom calls where the, the cats are walking in front of the screen or the children in the background are having the temper tantrum, but it's, it's kind of taken, out, taken away this idea of you have one face as a leader and then there's somebody else off the screen. Right? We're all humans first. Mm -hmm. And if you're a leader that doesn't think you are, if you think you have two faces, then you're, people will see through it now. You've got to be transparent. You have to be authentic. And that means you need to be vulnerable. It's okay to not have all the answers. And that's why having a peer community to help you becomes so important. So trans transparency, authenticity, vulnerability, commitment, and lastly, I'll say grit, right? We grounded out in 2020, and, and those who succeeded are those who showed grit, the ability to manage through adversity, the ability to be agile, which so many schools, so many school districts had to operate in an agile fashion and make decisions in the moment to continue to deliver education to students and whatnot. That's going to continue because we're living in a world of uncertainty and ambiguity. Uh, can I ask about vulnerability a little bit? So um, I remember feeling this pressure um, as a superintendent myself that when I walked into a room, I wanted to demonstrate, of course, that I was humble, but I also needed to somehow, some way, own that room, right? And it was this almost expectation of me as a leader. And I think all leaders at all different levels sometimes feel that, right? You need to demonstrate you have it together even during times of you know, frustration or chaos, you still need to be calm and collected, right? I think that sometimes we get conditioned for that over time, and then it makes it really difficult, leader to leader, to be honest with one another 
and you get a bunch of leaders, it's like cooks in the kitchen, right? And they're jockeying for position mm -hmm. and want to demonstrate, I've got it together. At World 50, what are your strategies on breaking down that vulnerability? Well, it's, so I, I, I kind of want to go back to something you said. So be, being calm and collected as a leader, vulnerable or not, I think you still have to do that, right? Because your, your teams, your direct reports, larger sets of stakeholders, they're going to read you. And they're going to read how you come across. You may not have all the answers, but any good leader is not going to sit, accept that as, as status quo. Like, okay, we'll get the answers, right? And so being vulnerable means being able to show that you have a grasp of the situation, that you are calm, you are collected, you're in as much control as you can be in a world of ambiguity, but at the same time, admit where you may not know the answer, right? Because everybody knows that you don't, right? They see right through it. And, and, but then you get to enroll others in driving that change and in getting the answer, right? And because, right. because my leader has shown this, it allows me to be a little vulnerable and maybe to lean in a little more and stretch a little more and give a little more to my leader because they're inviting me in, mm -hmm. right? So that vulnerability is it's just it's an enormous and previously undervalued trait of leadership that's going to be very significant going forward. Because we're friends, I've been able to kind of peek behind the curtain uh, of World 50 a little bit, right? And actually, more than a little bit, I've, um, it's, it's caused me to salivate at times and maybe you know, reflect back and think, if only I had this level of support when I was in that seat. And so I said in jest before, but I actually am really serious, I want Leading Ed to be the world 50 for educational leaders. So that being the case, what, what just frank advice do you have for us? Because you know a little bit about us too. Yeah, yeah. So what sort of input or guidance would you have for us based upon all you've learned? Well, I, look, I think anybody that's a member, it's, it's, there's, there's a couple things. First, it's, it's community first, right? And, and that, is, that is what will make your company, the group of members, special and significant is that understanding that it is the, the community is the product, the community is the benefit, the community is the nucleus of what everything else should emanate around. And inherent to that is, is trust, yeah. right? When you build that trust, that's where, the mag that's where we see the magic happens. The second thing is the, the commitment to, to stay a step ahead, right? And it's not about wallowing in the reality of what is today. Yeah, it's helping you. Do you want to help each other out? But it's sure. also having the radar on to think about what's happening happening externally. That as leaders, you need to think about when you think about the various stakeholder groups you have to manage, whether it be the board that is elected or changes in how parents with parents' expectations are for education. Having those optics out and committing to each other to have that external view is is absolutely critical. And then there is the we'll go back to where we started. It's that you know the the falsehood that I don't have enough time, right? And it's you have to, if you want to be a great leader, you've got to make the time to invest in yourself because no one else will, right? And if you don't make that time, you start getting obsolete. You start being that person who back in the day, right? And I can't imagine there's a, a member in your group that doesn't want to stay state-of-the-art, step ahead, future-focused. And so making that commitment to investing the time and building the relationships and providing input will create a wonderful, wonderful organization of the best superintendents in the world. That is my worry, right, for leaders right now is they are just getting beat on every single day. 
and they sometimes feel like in order to support my community, I need to keep my head down and grind. And therefore, they're not giving to themselves relative to supporting their own learning. So that, that advice is golden. Yeah. And you know, I definitely hope people listen to that. Certainly. Okay, so uh, people in the audience are going to realize how smart I am for hanging out with really smart people. Right, that that makes me a genius, don't you? Th don't you agree? Well, that's why I think it's why you created this company. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> it's exactly right? right. You're known by the company you keep, right? I, I definitely <laughs> need a lot of help. I definitely how's that for vulnerability? So, Eric, this is this is perfect. I really appreciate you. I appreciate you not just being here, but everything you've done to help me along the way. You've just been a great friend and colleague. So, oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah, you're valued. Yeah. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to know you, Jeff, and I, I wish you the best of luck with everything. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to make a transition here and we will be right back with our next guests. And in the meantime, I know that you have appreciated, maybe even more so, um, the perspective of Eric and what he brings to us today. And like I said, over time, we will be the world 50 um, for you. Be well and look forward to seeing you here in a minute.